Let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 John chapter 5. We've been going through this book of 1 John, and John is just continuously stressing to us about the importance of love. It's the thing that John is known for, and he has much to say about it, because for him, the things that he remembered the most about Jesus' teachings were about his love as well. John records more of what Jesus said about love than any of the other gospel writers. And as we saw last week, as he defined for us in the fourth chapter, that love is something that by definition is initiatory. It's something that is done irrespective of its expected results. And it's audacious in a sense, as we saw last week. It just reaches out. It doesn't make a deal. And as he took us through that and reminded us that God is love, that there's nothing that will bring you closer to God than connecting with his love and with his people. Now he continues in that vein, but puts it in a little different context and takes it in a, a little different direction here in the, in the first verses of chapter 5. And what he does here is he takes the context of family the metaphor of the family, and he applies it to God's people. And sometimes for some of us that might be difficult because, you know, you look at the model family, the, you know, the Cleaver family or, you know, the, the Anderson family, father knows best or whatever, and you can kind of see, wow, that's, so that's what family is like. But in real life, family is far from perfect for, for any of us. Family involves a lot of struggles and a lot of difficulties, but, but family is designed so that we would begin to understand what life is supposed to be like. It's God's metaphor. Now, that doesn't mean that God is just totally into us having the best families possible, although he certainly wants that. But as far as God's concerned, our human families are simply a vehicle to begin to reveal to us what the much greater thing is, and that is that we are all a part of God's family. And God's family overwhelmingly supersedes anything that you will ever experience in a human family. And if you have a great human family, praise God, because that's a taste of what God wants to do in his family. But if you feel like, oh, great, another family message. I'm single. I don't want a family. I, or I used to, but now I'm over it. My family makes me sick. I'm dreading Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's okay, too, because ultimately, family here in our, in our nuclear family is really only a picture of that which God ultimately wants to do. And it's the context in which we discover what the love is that God has for us. And, and John kind of drives that home here with us. And so beginning with verse 1, we'll read the first few verses and then stop and talk about them. He said, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So, he says, we become a part of the family of God 
when we believe in Jesus, that He is the Christ, when we believe in Him, we are born of God. We become a member of God's family. But that doesn't, the word believe there is a, is a word, well, it's the Greek verb pistuo, comes from the root word of it is pistis, which, is, which means to trust, to, um, it's usually translated faith, it's used here in this passage and is translated faith, but the idea isn't just that, okay, you know, yeah, I trust you, but the idea is, who do you really trust so much that you will make yourself vulnerable to them? Who do you trust so much that you will place your life in their hands? Most of us have a hard time getting this concept because we haven't found anyone or very few people who are worthy of that kind of commitment. So along comes Jesus, and the Bible says, he loves you so much that he died for you for free. And he, and he wants to bring you into his family. He loves you irrespective of anything that you ever do. He accepts you unconditionally. And once you discover someone who will love you like that, trusting them is a pretty simple issue. But at some point, we have to have been convinced that he is worthy of that trust in order for us to say, I will do it your way. You can lead me. I'm in, I am with you, and I want to live my life for you, and I want you to live in me. To come to that point is what we call being born again, as he says here, born of God. The, the, the phrase and the, the image of it being connected to birth is a, is a connection that John probably picked up when he had overheard what he recorded in John 3 as Jesus was talking to Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night and he was like, you know, what do I do? And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus, of course, like we would have if we had never heard the term, would go, really? And Nicodemus even said, I can't fit in my mother's womb anymore. That could be a problem. I'm not sure mom's going to go for it either. <laughs> And so, but John heard that and realized the, the point that Jesus was making. And now he declares, when we put our trust completely in Jesus, when we place ourselves within his hands and allow him to, to have free reign in our life, that's what's called being born of God. That's what's called having him as your father. That's what's called starting over. And what runs throughout here is this concept of birth. And to birth something, the Greek word is genus. We use the word a lot when we talk about genetics. We talk about a generation. In fact, if you talk about um, a generator, it's something that births energy. That's the idea of what it does. The Old Testament, the first book in the Bible, is the book Genesis. And that means births in Greek. The idea of this is where everything flows forth from. And so what John is driving home here is that if you really trust Jesus, then everything starts over for you. Whatever came before doesn't really matter 
but there's a new beginning for you. But, he says, when you're born of God, everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Now, on the surface, it, you know, it seems like, really? I mean, so, and, and sometimes we would say, so that means if there's even, what he's saying is, if you have the same parent, you're going to love each other. And right away, any of us who have brothers and sisters would object because just having the same, you know, um, the same parents together does not instantly cause us to bind together. You've heard of sibling rivalry and jealousies and, and some people are split at birth and don't even know each other. Some families are segmented and fragmented and all over the place. So for us to get this image, it might be hard to grasp um, because families in this world are divided. Families in this world are fragmented and, and we're going to see in the next few verses what the problem is and, and what the solution is. But what he's trying to do here in verse 1 is just to be logical. He's saying, doesn't it make sense that if you have been born of God, if you, I mean, God just did that for you. He, he loved you completely and totally, and for free, he granted to you the privileges of birth, that you are his offspring, and then somebody else gets the same deal, doesn't that seem like something that would make you have in common with others who have received that same glorious gift? If you understand the blessing of grace, doesn't that make you want to be close to other people who have experienced that same grace? And logically, you would have to say yes. I mean, people who survive war together have a bond that can't be broken. People who play on the same championship team often create those same kinds of things. When we experience things together, it creates a connection that is a, is a nice image of what God desires in His family, which He calls us His family if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, believed in Him. And so John is just saying, doesn't it make sense that if we both are so blessed, if we both are so lucky to get the deal that God gave us, wouldn't we naturally love each other? And that may not be always our experience, but that is certainly logically reasonable. But then he says, by this we know that we love the children of God. Here's how you know that you love. Here's how you know that your relationships with others are reflecting that which should logically flow forth from somebody who's really been saved by grace. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Now at this point, it starts to look like a catch. It's like, yes, God loves me freely and unconditionally, and okay, I should love other people who got the same deal, but how do I really know that I love others? And he says, you keep his commandments. And so we listen to that and we go, wait a minute. That starts sounding an awful lot like conditional love. Because you're saying it's free, but you don't know if you have it unless you're 
loving each other, and you don't even know if you're loving each other unless you're doing the stuff he tells you to do, that almost sounds like a parent saying, as long as you do it my way, I will love you, and when you begin to do it your own way, I will throw you out and reject you. And that's certainly not the love that we saw in the previous chapter. But what John is saying here goes back to some things that Jesus had taught about love and about commandments. And turn back to the Gospel of John for just a moment. In chapter 14, Jesus is in the middle of his last message to his disciples. In this time, he's preparing them for life without him, for life being filled with the Holy Spirit, facing trials, basically for the life that we experience today, Jesus is preparing the way for that. And um, in chapter 14 of John, verse 23, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now move across the, what to me is across the page, but over to chapter 15, beginning with verse 9. And look what Jesus said here. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, coming back to 1 John, what Jesus defined here is a circular sort of thing that John is alluding to here. He says, if you receive God's love, it will make you love others. But if you love others and thus love God, you will also do what God says and follow his commandments because following his commandments is what shows that you are loved and his commandment is that you love. So he equates here being born of God, having a new life, having your sins forgiven with loving God, with loving people, with doing what God says. And to pull it all together, you have to understand what his commandments are about. As he said, as Jesus said, my commandment is simply that you love. Now you may think, wow, that's a pretty radical thing because the Old Testament contains hundreds of commandments, overwhelming commandments that are impossible to keep. So Jesus really was easy. But what Jesus taught about the Old Testament is fascinating because according to Jesus, all that God was ever trying to do is to get us to love each other. That's his heart. That's all he really wants to accomplish in us. And every one of his commandments are really just about loving each other. So when God says, do this, don't do that, it's all about him allowing us, opening us up, freeing us to love each other. And if you doubt me, somebody came to Jesus and they said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? There's so many of them. This must be a tough question. And Jesus said, no, it's not that tough. 
He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's first. And he said the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The way you love God is by loving others. And Jesus said, on these two things, all of the law and the prophets hinge. That's what they are about. So we have this big book, and the Cliff Notes version is this. Do what God says, because that will allow you to be loving to others. And if we are loving to others, it opens the door for others to love us, for God to love us, for us to love Him, for us to experience life the way it's designed so that we'll have joy and peace and, and everything will go right if we can get this down. But if we don't get this down, like Paul said over in 1 Corinthians, we're just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. We're nothing without love. And so John understood that and he's saying, okay, look, we are born of God. And because of it, God has shown his audacious love to us in an amazing way. And when you understand that he loves you, it will make you want to love others. And it will also make you want to obey him. You won't be in rebellion against him because you'll realize that everything he's been telling you, right and wrong, is all about making you more loving. Making you more loving is going to make God's people function like what a family is supposed to function like. And so he goes, it's all about the commandment. The commandment is about love. Everything that he has done for us in being a part of his family should push us in the direction of loving each other. But he's using the family as an illustration because family is an interesting environment in which love can be practiced and experienced. The nature of family is that you have people from different generations, you have people with different personalities, you have people with different sets of values and everything else, but they are together because of a connection, a genetic connection that they have, if you will, something that comes from the very genesis of our being. And, and so when family is done right, it's a beautiful picture of unity with diversity. Well, we don't get it right. None of us get it right. Some of us get it better than others. And there are some families that I can look at and go, that's exactly what he was talking about. But it doesn't matter so much because we are a part of a bigger family that God calls us to. And each one of us who have been loved by God is a part of this family. And, and so he says, this is the way you are to be. This is the kind of love that you are to have. You guys, you, your lives were saved together. And you are together and you have the privilege of loving each other. And that's a wonderful and a powerful thing. And if you have some of that in your earthly families, great. Let that spur you on to want more of that in the family of God. But if that's been denied you in an earthly family or maybe your loved ones have already gone to be with the Lord or something, hey, you are not without family. Your family is in the body of Christ. And the logical thing is for us to love each other. Now, one of the things that I love about our church is that it feels like a family. It doesn't feel like a club. Now, church growth experts say that a, a church, in order to really grow, to really boom, 
it needs to go after a target audience. And so they say, what we want is a church that they call with, homo- with a homogeneous unit. That is, everyone who's together have similarities and things like that. And that is a good principle if you just want a church to grow. If you have a church with all young couples, hey, that feels great to a young parent. If you have a church with all elderly people, that feels good to them. They're very comfortable. Um, If you have a church built around young single people, again, great way to make a church. But none of those, in my opinion, are really churches. They're clubs. And I'm not talking or even thinking about any church in particular, but what the church is to be, it's to look more like a family reunion than it does a club of, of a mutual admiration society. Now, that creates problems, as we're going to see, and creates difficulties, because the truth is, if I came to church and I looked out and everyone was a lot like me, I would think that you are the greatest place I've ever been. <laughs> Because deep down inside, though I faint otherwise, I kind of like the way I am. I think everyone should be the way I am. And so if, if this was a church, uh, come on, you do too, you know that. <laughs> but if this is a church that was just like me, this morning we would have announced, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to replay the Rampage Jackson and, and Leota Mashita fight and break it down punch for punch and let's take a vote, and let's see if the judges got it right or wrong. And the fact that most of you are just glazed over looking at me demonstrates my point. We're all different. And I love that. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because accepting other people's differences because your family is everything. That is how God's love is perfected. And so I'm blessed that we have Little kids running around and young couples with families. I'm blessed that we have young single people. I'm, I'm blessed that we have married couples whose kids are getting older. I'm gl- blessed that we have grandparents. And hey, I'm blessed that we have you know, people who are elderly like me in, in, their, final, in their final days, just giving it their last shot. Um, because that's what family feels like. And yeah, it... it It inconveniences everyone to a degree. Um, Maybe you don't want to hear kids yelling during church or, you know, taking up space that we could use for other things. Or, you know, maybe when you drive down Moulton, when you live in this area, you find out very quickly that, you know, when you're driving down Moulton, you have to pay attention to the road. Um, (laughs) Because there's these 20-mile-an-hour Camrys going down the street, and we need to be reminded, that's me in a few years. That's my family. How, how bad would you feel if you're honking at somebody and pulled up and it was your grandmother, you know? Um, but see, that's what church is. It's family. And so to me, and, and family can be messy, no doubt about it, but to me, God help us if we ever get to the point where, where we are protecting the church from a segment of the family. I love it. One of my favorite times after church, especially after third service when they go nuts, is when kids are just running all through the sanctuary. And I, as long as I'm alive and kicking and here, um, nobody's going to be telling kids, you don't run in here, this is the Lord's house. 
Man, I'm so glad that kids, this is a place where you can set your kids free and let them go kind of crazy. Do they break some things? Absolutely. Do you totally paranoid, child-proof everything? No, not necessarily. But you realize that there's a cost to certain things, that you have to put in handicap ramps, that you have to do, with, with every segment, we all have our liabilities. At the same time, it's real easy to pick worship out that will minister to a certain segment. You know, so like if we just, I mean, we have a lot of bikers in our church. So, I mean, we can put Christian words to Born to be Wild, you know, Steppenwolf <laughs> songs, and we would love it. Not sure other people would be crazy about it. And when we have worship that's a little louder, a little more upbeat, no doubt about it, for some people, that becomes a problem. We have a box of earplugs back in the sound booth, seriously, if that's a problem. For other people, when they do some hymns, they're like, this is so old school, you know, I, I want to go to the church that just really rocks out. But you know what? This is family. And we better learn to put up with each other and to even enjoy it. It's just like, you know, when you may hate kids until you have one, and when you have one, you fall in love with it. And then as it grows older, you begin to lose a sense of that <laughs> until, until your kid has kids. And then all of a sudden, as a grandparent, you're absolutely in love with kids again. Well, what the body of Christ, what the family of God is supposed to be like is a place where every kid is our kid and every older person is our grandparent and every one who is with us is our brother and our sister. That, that's God's vision for the body of Christ. That's what he wants to do in us. And what a powerful testimony that could be that anyone who comes will feel accepted. Now, anyone who comes may not feel immediately like, yeah, this is just what I like. Because I guarantee you listen to me a few times, I'll say something that offends you. Um, you know, there'll be other people who you think are, wow, they're weird. We have weird people in our church, no doubt about it. A lot of them. But... But when you look at that weird, unstable person that you see in church, just remind yourself, God loves them so much that he wanted them to be his child, and me too. And, and according to John, that should define who we are, individually and collectively. And, and he goes on, and there in the end of verse 3, he says, his commandments are not burdensome. That word literally means they aren't heavy. Now that's kind of a challenge for us because often God's commandments seem like a burden. Often just the commandment to love others seems really difficult and challenging because of our differences. And in fact, learning to love is a challenge in and of itself. And he's going to go on in the next couple of verses to talk about the challenge and the difficulty, the battle that happens. But what he is saying is, if you are loving, then what you do for the person you love will not feel like a burden if you're doing it for the right motivation. Now, you can do the exact same act for the same person and have your motivation be different. And one time it's a burden and another time it's a blessing. And it's important for us to get a handle on, our, on the heart of our motivation 
And our, our litmus test ultimately is, is this heavy and tough what I'm doing or is it not? Because Jesus said over in Matthew, he said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly. You'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you want to know whether your burden is God's for you, then ask yourself, is it heavy or is it light? Now, sometimes it's heavy, and it's a question of realizing, going back to the source of love and going, wow, what happened to me? Now, in a, in a marriage relationship, this can happen on a moment-by-moment basis. And here's kind of usually how it works. You love someone and you want to do things for them. You feel that I would do anything for this person. But then that person begins to demand things of you. They take you for granted and they expect certain things. Now, if out of my heart I feel like running to my wife and embracing her and telling her that I love her, that would be easy. Be much harder if she stood up in the back of church and said, I need you to love me. Get over here and act like it. I see a different motivation. And, and the reason why he tells us that you can tell it's love because it feels easy is that it's all about why we do what we do. We need to be careful, by the way, in relationships to not demand and expect things. Because when you demand and expect something, all you do is guarantee that that will not be done for love. If someone feels pressured or nagged or they have to do it, they cannot do it for love. It has to feel like a burden. And so we need to get to the point where we understand this, that love is not about you getting loved. Love is about you loving. It's initiatory, as we saw last week. And you'll know that it's love when it's easy. Remember how, I mean, if you've had small kids, you know this. They love to help. I mean, and they'll help you with anything. You know, they'll, I remember with my boys, when I was carrying something really heavy, they always wanted to help. And it made it twice as hard because they would get on one end and I would get on the other and I'd have to lift the whole thing with my wrists and forearms so they thought they were helping. But they loved doing it. Um, as they got older, a glass of water seemed like it was too heavy, you know? It's just things happen where something that we knew inherently and naturally, sometimes we lose the sense of it. There's an old, old story that goes way back later, was turned into a corny song, but the story goes that a lady saw a little girl carrying her, her little brother, and as little brothers often are, they can get bigger than big sister pretty quickly, and you've seen this if you have kids or you watch kids. She's like carrying the little boy that's bigger than she is, and she's just struggling and, and pulling him along, and, and the lady said, you're so strong, how in the world... Can you lift him? And she said to him, she said to the lady, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And, aw, holiday story. But (laughs) that's kind of what he's saying. No, if it's your brother, it doesn't feel heavy. It doesn't feel like a burden. And, And that's the way our lives are supposed to be. And when it isn't, we need to back up a little bit and go, wait a minute, why am I doing what I'm doing? Often, I can feel myself forced into something, and yet I have to convince myself that this is something not that I'm doing because I have to do, but because I'm doing it as love makes it worth doing. 
And sometimes we have to make that transition. I've shared before how the Lord just convicted me fairly recently that as I begin to look at my appointments, and my appointments are a mess because I'll meet with anybody, talk to anybody, I try to answer every email and take every opportunity to speak anywhere and my door is always open to everyone. And so, so I, I load myself down pretty bad and I, and I can tell when it's happening when I, when I look at my schedule and I go, okay, on Monday, I have to meet with this person. On Tuesday, I have to have lunch with this person on, and a couple of other things. And on Wednesday, I have to do my Bible study for Wednesday night. And on Thursday, we have to have the family over for Thanksgiving. And on Friday, I have to make sure I do my shoeboxes. And, and I start to look at my calendar, and, I, and it feels like, oh, this is overwhelming. Well, what's the problem? And God has shown me to look at that schedule and go, do you want to do this stuff or not? Can you do this out of love or should you just cancel? And I believe it's better for me to say no than to say yes and have it be a burden. And so what I'm doing, and most of the time as I go through my calendar over the next couple of weeks, I find out that everything on there I really want to do. I don't have to go to the backpack thing. I don't have to help decorate the church. I don't have to meet with people. I don't have to teach. I love all of that. And when I do it from love, I I feel like, and once I can look at my calendar and I can go, I get to do this, I get to do this, I get to do this, I feel like a big weight's been lifted off of me. And, And that's what John's talking about, that with that familial love that we have, if you're doing it right, it doesn't feel like a burden. If you're doing it and it feels like a burden, you're not doing it right. You're, you are, um, you know, you're putting a burden on yourself. It's not the burden that God has given you in the way that he has given it to you. And, and so he says, here's the standard. Here's what it looks like. Loving others, loving God, obeying God, being loved by him, that's all the same thing. That's all, that's what life is ultimately about. And you'll know that it's right when it doesn't drag you down. Maybe nothing wrong with what you're doing, but why are you doing it? And get back to that. And uh, so then as he goes on here, he says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now he introduces in these two verses the idea that sometimes family isn't easy. Sometimes love isn't easy. Sometimes love gets us into a a predicament that can be really difficult for us to extricate ourselves from it, to work through it, to find the good in it. Um, We are in a battle. So the burden to love, that's light. But the obligation and responsibility to walk in that sometimes gets us in difficult situations. And he says you're in a fight and you can win that fight. The word there um, for this is the victory is the Greek word Nike. It's where they came up with the name for an athletic shoe company and everything else nowadays. And the word for overcoming is the verb form of that, and it means the same thing. We are in a battle, and we have to understand that. And our battle is against the entire world system because God has his family, and then everyone else doesn't get it. 
and they're fighting against us, and even our own flesh is battling against us, this cosmological system is stacked against living a family life of love. And it's why families break up, and it's why people feel alone, and it's why people reject other people, and it's why people don't care. It's because the world is closing in on us. Earlier in chapter 2, John had said, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he said, the love of the world is this, the lust of the flesh, what your body wants to do, the lust of the eyes, what looks good, and the pride of life, what people think of you. And he said, those are of the world, they're not of God. So that's our battle. And to be Pollyanna about it and just think you can ignore those things or worse yet, incorporate worldly values into our Christianity and, and make Christianity just another expression of worldly values, you surrender by not fighting the battle. Now, I don't relish a good fight anymore. And I really, I don't even like having an argument with someone. But, you know, and I'm, I mean, I'm too old to fight physically. I, I have a titanium plate in my neck that could create problems if I do. But I will tell you this. If I find myself in a fight, I'm going to do everything I can do to win. Because if I have to fight, I want to win. And it's the same way here. There's a battle that we are in. We may not like it. We may ignore it. We lose. But this battle can be won. It's possible for us to come out stronger and ahead by this battle against the world. And again, as he says, whoever is born of God, whoever really gets this, overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. The same word, you know, pistis, that we saw earlier. Our commitment, our trust, our giving ourselves over to God gives us victory. This is the victory. It's our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes, pistio, that Jesus is the Son of God. So here's the whole thing put together in a nutshell. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Do you believe that he is who the Bible says he is? Do you believe that he loves you the way the Bible says that he loves you? Do you believe John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life? If you really believe that enough to trust it, then you will put yourself out on a limb and allow yourself to love. And to receive love, giving and receiving love, creating a family of God atmosphere. And when we do that, doing what he says, we find out, wow, it was all connected to love in the first place. And so it fits neatly together, and the joy and fulfillment and everything that comes from life, that comes from victory, the celebrations that we can happen as we go, wow, that was challenging, there were elements of the world that were threatening our love and we negotiated our way through it. We worked past it. We sucked it up and battled where we had to and what we knew we believed was enough to carry us through to the other side and actually to have us improve and grow and become stronger because of the challenge to love that the world threw in our face. And so John just goes, you can win this. You can win this. It's totally winnable. And it's winnable by faith in the God who loves us 
and by the response to that love that causes us to love others. And that changes everything. That's a perspective that the world cannot understand. They'll never understand it. Somebody who doesn't love will never understand someone who does. They'll misunderstand and accuse and drag you down to their level, but hey, when you understand it, it completely makes sense. There's an old story that supposedly happened back in World War I where they were, and back then most of the wars were fought in trenches and there was a soldier who got caught out of the trench and was being shot repeatedly and gunned down and, and his buddy saw it and said to the sergeant, I'm going to go get him and the sergeant forbade him from doing it. He said, no, you can't. He's lost. He's, he's going to be dead. And if you go get him, you'll be dead too, and I'll lose two soldiers instead of one. Very logical thinking. But the guy saw his friend there, and he just went anyway against orders, ran out on the battlefield, picked up his friend, carried his, by that time, his body back to the trench. And the sergeant began to just lecture him and say, look how stupid this was. Because now you have wounds that will no doubt kill you. He was already dead. Was it really worth it? And the guy said, yeah, it was. He said, when I got to him, the last words that he said were, I knew you'd come. And that's the kind of thing that the world won't understand. The world won't understand what we are willing to go through in order to create family, in order to live out the love that God has for us. But that's something that you can understand and I can understand because somebody went first. Somebody went and died for us. And... That should define everything about us. Our families, the church, the family of God, the way we see ourselves even at times when we feel like we're alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us and allowing us into your family and loving us first. And so incredibly powerful. Lord, help us to understand the ramifications of being your children. And help us then to feel so lucky to be together that we reach out to all of those in your family and we just want to love them, understanding that that's how we obey you. That's all you ever wanted us to do was to love. And so God, teach us these lessons and when it involves conflict, help us by faith and love to win the battle because of you. And we thank you for going first. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. If you're here today and this whole talk about the family of God sounds like you're an outsider, maybe you've never come to the point where you've given your life to Jesus and trusted in Him, you can join this family right now. It's simple, it's free. Everything can change in your life. Even if you're at a place where you're just not sure, 